For the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be looking at this parable because it is full of tons of things for us to mull over. And really, at the heart of this series of messages is the gospel. And you might think that the gospel is something that is for people who don't know Jesus, that they need to hear the gospel so that they can be saved, so that they can go to heaven, so that they'll be with Jesus when they die. I mean, and that's all true. But I like what Tim Keller says about it. The gospel isn't just for those folks. The gospel is for all of us. And the gospel, as we work it deeper and deeper into our lives, will transform us from the inside out. Today we're going to see some of those ways that the gospel needs to busy itself with transforming us. You see, one of the things that most Christians believe is that the gospel saves us and then we change ourselves by trying harder trying hard to follow God, trying hard to follow his laws, trying hard to follow his rules, trying hard to please him. Uh, But that's not at all how it works. The way we're transformed is by the gospel, by the beauty, the richness of the gospel. So today we're going to kind of do an overview of this passage And then for the next few weeks, we'll explore other themes. And the the main theme that I want to explore today is when the younger brother comes to the father and says, give me mine. Give me mine. You ever parented kids before? Grandkids? That's a common phrase from kids. Give me mine. If we were all honest, though, that's a common phrase of all of us. Give me mine. None of us like things that stand in between us and what we want. It's irritating. It's frustrating. And there's lots of self-help books out there. There's lots of of self-help preaching out there that helps us get what we want when we want it. There's lawyers out there to help us get what we want when we want it. And there's lots of ways that we get frustrated when we can't get mine. And this young man, it's an alarming question. Not a question. It's an alarming demand he makes on his dad. Why is it so alarming? What's he asking for? What's he demanding from dad? His inheritance. Question, when do people inherit things? When you're dead. People inherit things when you're six feet under and you've got no say in the matter anymore. People inherit things when the lawyer gets together with the family and goes over the last will and testament. That's when inheritance happens. So when this young man says, Dad, give me mine. Give me my inheritance. What is he saying to dear old dad? (laughs) I wish you were dead so I could get mine. Now, my guess is none of us have the gall to say this to dear old dad or mom. But I wonder how many of us think like this young man. I wonder how many of us 
fall into this way of thinking, maybe not with our own parents, but perhaps with our spiritual father, where we want what God can give us, where we want his blessings, we want health, we want wealth, we want prosperity, we want to be good at something, we want him to bless us and ours, and we want that more than we want the father. I mean, let's be honest for a moment. We are in church after all. This would be a good place to be honest. What is it that you really want? Do you want God's blessings? Do you want things that the creator has created? Or do you want the creator? You see, this brother, this younger brother, and I'm an older brother, so I can pick on younger brothers all I want. This younger brother, he wanted stuff that the creator had created. He wanted the father's things. Now, before I pick too much on the younger brother, I want to pick on the elder brother as well. Now, you may not have heard it when she read this passage, but the elder brother is also saying the exact same statement to dad. The elder brother is also saying, Give me mine. You see, the story begins in crisis. It begins with this younger brother saying, give me mine. I want out of here. (laughs) Nobody's ever said that in Ray. No kids ever thought like that, have they? But it also ends in crisis with the older brother standing outside of the feast, refusing to go in, angry. There's something you need to know about this feast. You see, our culture, we have become a party culture. Everything in our culture is about celebrations. You don't believe me, go to Walmart. Go to Dollar General. I mean, Halloween is not even over yet, and they got Christmas stuff coming in. We've made Halloween into a celebration where you put up lights and a Halloween tree and pumpkins And you eat a lot of food. And then we're going to stop that. And then we're going to move to Thanksgiving where we won't have lights and we won't have a tree, but we'll have plenty of food and a celebration. And then we'll stop that. And then on Friday, like at my house, we'll put up the Christmas lights because, you know, you, you only get to have them up for so long. And so we put them up the Friday after Thanksgiving. My sister, who's more Catholic Episcopal, they won't put them up till Christmas. That's irritating. But anyways, we'll have them up for a good month and we'll have lights and a tree and decorations and we'll eat plenty of food and have a celebration. And then New Year's happens and we have a big party and lots of football and we eat food and have family. And then January 2nd happens and we all go, oh man, I got to lose some weight because since October I've been eating and drinking like there is no tomorrow. And that lasts for about a month because then the retailers start in on Valentine's Day. And with Valentine's Day, even now, they're starting to have lights and cards and candy and cupcakes and food. And then St. Patrick's Day comes along, and there's lots of drinking green stuff on that day and kissing and pinching people. It gets a little out of hand, a little, a little crazy. On And then the... Spring happens, Easter, 
There's Easter ham, there's eating and drinking and getting together with friends and family at Easter, and there's all the goodies and all the candies and all the presents. Have you seen the presents that they make available on Easter? It's like a mini Christmas. You can even sit on the Easter bunny's lap. Tell them what you want for Easter. And then you get into the summer holidays, Memorial Day, because, you know, you got to get together and have a, a, a cookout. It's not really a barbecue unless it's a slow smoked meat, but it's a cookout when you do hamburgers and hot dogs. And then Fourth of July comes along. You got to eat another cookout. And then Labor Day, another cookout. And then we're all the way back around to Halloween. I mean, our culture is all about celebrations, eating, drinking, being merry, for tomorrow we diet, right? (laughs) That's really what that saying is. I think it's in the Hebrew, the original. We have become a culture where we have so much excess that every day is a holiday. And in this story, when they say, kill the fattened, calf. You know how many folks a fatted calf will feed? You know how quick you got to eat that thing when you don't have refrigeration? When you can't do leftovers? Dad's putting on the dog. Dad's having a party and he's inviting everybody. In this village, of 200, 300 people where vast majority of the people were all related. We know what that's like. <laughs> he is inviting everybody out for the fatted calf meal to celebrate his son being home. It is a public event. It's not, hey, son, let's have a good ribeye, you and me. It's let's kill the fatted calf and let's get all the relatives and all the neighbors And the whole community over because they all want to see you. Because you've come home. It's a party. It's a huge party. And it's out of the ordinary because they didn't eat meat every day. I know some of you think, really? They didn't have meat every day. This was a special event. They were having meat that day. Not just any meat, fatted calf. Not goat, not lamb. This is the calf. We're partying because the son is back, the younger son. And the older brother is angry. Did you hear how Jesus put it? When he was out in the field and as he's coming home, he heard in the distance music and dancing. Now that eludes us because everywhere we go, we hear music. Maybe not dancing, thank God, but music. (laughs) <laughs> we hear music everywhere. My kids have smartphones. And on their smartphone, they have an app called Spotify. And Spotify gives you the opportunity to listen to millions of songs at the push of a button. It's not even a button. It's tapping a screen. And you push this screen and you go, oh, I want to hear this song right now. It starts playing the song. And everywhere they go, they've got their smartphone with a song playing. Everywhere they go. 
And if they don't have that going, they jump in the car. And what's going on in the car? The radio. And if the radio's not going, then mom at home has got Pandora playing with some worship music all day long because that's what she wants to hear. Everywhere we go, we hear music. It's, it's on TV constantly. It, it's on our radios constantly. It's everywhere. Perhaps you should fast from media this next week. Turn off radios, turn off television, turn off smartphones. And see what it's like when you show up to church when there's live music. Number one, we're going to sound way better. Because your reference points are completely lost. You'd be like, man, they were really good today. Yeah, because you haven't heard music all week long. That's why in the old times, don't mean to step on any toes, but on the old times, people used to play instruments more. Because they couldn't just walk over to the radio and listen to the top 40. If they wanted to hear music, they had to gather around hey, let's play that little ditty that we learned. Let's play that little one that we heard. Hey, let's play that song. And then the whole, you ever heard of family harmonies? The family would sing together because that's how they had music. That's how they entertained. When folks came over, they'd sing. They'd be dancing. When you had the fatted calf and the whole town's coming over, do you think people just stood around? So... When's that brisket going to be done? <laughs> that gets awkward. So eventually, Uncle Harold and Aunt Betty, they broke out the instruments. Tambourine. Everybody started singing in Aramaic. Stuff that we would find irritating. But the old brother, he heard and he understood Is that party at my house? Has dad lost the last screw? He shows up and one of the servants says, Hey man, your brother's home and dad killed the fatted calf. You know, the one that we were saving for Christmas. Actually, Christmas hadn't really. (laughs) The one we were saving. And the reason is your brother's home. How would you respond as the older brother? See, I'm an older brother. I know how older brothers respond. I mean, it's kind of unfair, really, because I did rob the entire gene pool of all the good genes. (laughs) I did leave math and some of the good looks for my siblings. But this older brother acts like an older brother. You kidding me? My kid brother who, squan- who, squan- who squandered the wealth? Dad, don't you remember what you had to go through to give him his part of the inheritance? Because if you haven't thought about how he gave him the part of the inheritance, how do you go about giving inheritance away? You sell stuff. Remember, because when you get inheritance, it's when you die. When you're not you die, your loved one dies. And all the stuff that was of value was land. 
Dad had to sell land. (laughs) I know that's like anathema to some of you. Cursed be the man who would sell the family land, right? This younger brother says, give me mine. And he makes dad sell the land. And in the olden days, back then, and I think we should go back to being biblical on this piece. The oldest brother, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the family inheritance. The younger brother, a third. I think that's great. So I'm an older brother. Amen. Yeah, preach it. Some of you, I can tell the younger brothers right now. Younger brothers and sisters, I don't think that's really nice. Hey, it's biblical, okay? Take it up with Jesus. I'm the messenger. I just happen to like this message. Younger brother got a third. Older brother got two-thirds. So dad only had to sell a third of the land. But a third of the land? He gave it to the younger brother, and why is he back, dad? Because he's out of cash. Question, if you let him back in, is he going to get another third when you do die? I mean, can you see why the older brother's a little irritated now? Because everything that dad owns now is his, included the fattened calf that he gave away to younger brother. I don't know about you, older brothers, but I'm a little upset. And in a sense, the indignation, the indignation, the anger that the older brother has is the same as the younger brother where he's saying, give me mine. In fact, we get more of his heart when he says, I have obeyed you. And you didn't even give me a goat. (laughs) You know, my dad just turned 70 and we had a get together with the family. And you have these kinds of discussions. You don't know you're having these discussions, but you're having these discussions. Like us older siblings, my, my sister and I, we turned to Lee and we're like, man, when I was your age, you're so lucky, right? Because we were the trailblazers. We, we had it hard. We had it when mom and dad were experimenting on us. We had it when mom and dad didn't know what they were doing. They never raised a 13-year-old before, 14-year-old before, 15-year, whatever. I was experimented on. And they found techniques that worked. Beat him. <laughs> Scare him. Take stuff away. Ground him. And then little brother comes along and they start going, you know what? Our last one didn't die. He's still alive. And he did some stupid stuff. And we might have been a little hard on him. So little brother comes along. And he's not beaten. And he's not yelled at. And he gets mediocre grades. And it's not seen as a problem. It's just seen as he's got different priorities. (laughs) We have these kinds of conversations. And you don't realize you're having this conversation. And you don't realize this conversation is tearing the family up. But you think these things. You, you feel these things. And the older brother is tearing at the fabric of the family, just like the younger brother is tearing at the fabric of the family. 
They're both saying, give me mine, dad. They're both saying, I want the stuff more than you. They're both saying to the creator, I want what you've created rather than you. You know, younger brother, this is all what Keller calls idolatry. I think he's right. Idolatry, it happens throughout the Old Testament. We're all like, okay, what's the deal with these little figurines that they carry around with them? And they all get crazy about it. And back then, they really did believe in other gods, that they really did exist. And in our day and age, we've become far more sophisticated. We don't believe in supernatural things. And so we think of idolatry as wanting stuff more than we want God. And, and in a sense, that's very true. We want things more than we want God. And some of these things can be good things. I mean, that's the tricky thing with idolatry. It's not always just things that are bad for you. It can also be things that are really good for you. And the younger brother, his idolatry for a while is hard to see because he's a good younger brother. He's, he's obedient for quite some time. I mean, you know, he's doing what God, what dad wants. He's dutifully going to church. He's dutifully doing his duty. He's dutifully going about doing what the father wants him to do, his chores. And all along, though, he's plotting that day that he can get out of Dodge. All along, he's planning that day when dear old dad kicks the bucket. He can be free. He can get his third. He can go live life the way he wants to live. He can go invest it the way he wants. He can go spend his time the way he wants to spend his time. He can do the stuff he wants to do because the man's thumb is keeping him down right now. And he puts up with it. But eventually, he comes to a why in the road. He comes to a fork. And eventually he has to say, huh, dad wouldn't want me to do that. But I want this. I want this love or I want this job or I want this money or I want this thing. And I want it worse than I want dad. And eventually the younger brother, what's easy to see with his idolatry is he picks the path. It's not the father. He picks that path where he picks the love. He picks having to compromise, having to break the will of the Father, having to go against what the Father wants. He becomes what we would call immoral, unethical to get what he wants. He goes and he does it. And when a younger brother does that, that's easy to see, that idolatry. You see, his way of, of pleasing the Father, the way of making himself right with the world is through his own way. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to give this a try. Forget you, Dad. I'm going to go figure this out for myself. We call it the school of hard knocks. We call, we call it, you know, those kids that have to learn things the hard way. Now, the elder brother is not off the hook because he's just a compliant firstborn. But his heart's far from the father, too. He has idolatry in his heart as well because he wants the goat. He wants the fatted calf. He wants the two-thirds. 
That's what he wants. He doesn't want dad. He doesn't want that. But his way of getting it is to do what dad says. His way of getting it is to do what he should do. Maybe he's a little smarter than the brother because he's been able to figure out, you know, if I do that, it'll end up here and this, that way, and the other thing, so I won't do that. And I'm an older brother, so of course I think he's smarter. He's able to think through. He's able to apply some logic. He's able to go, man, that's going to lead to a lot of heartbreak and a lot of pain and a lot of this. I'll just do what dad wants, and then I'll get what I want. And some people, they treat church this way. You know, I'll be there on Sunday morning. Why? Because I'm bargaining with God because I got that doctor's appointment the next week. I'm a little scared of. You know, if I pray and read my Bible, say some Hail Marys, and not as a football term, then God is on the hook to take care of me and bless me. Then God is on the hook It's guaranteed. He's got to do it because just look how good I am. I'm doing everything he wants me to do. I mean, for goodness sake, I even stepped up when the pastor was bugging us about teaching Sunday school. I am suffering for Jesus. I mean, we think of these things and we think I am getting some jewels in my crown. God's on the hook. He has to take care of me. He has to give me a good, clean bill of health. He has to bless my 401k. I have got to be able to get things the way I want because look how good I am. That's at the heart of the elder brother's anger. It's (laughs) self-righteousness. Look, Dad. I've done what you wanted me to do. I've been there. I've worked hard for you. I show up. I do everything you want. You don't even give me goat. Now, maybe you don't want a goat. But do you have this transactional relationship with God the Father? An easy way to tell is your hearts. Are you angry at God? God's a big boy. He can take it. Are you big enough to admit it? Are you angry? You know, let me be the first one to tell you, there are times I am angry with God. There are times that it's easy for me to fall into the idolatry of the older brother because doggone it, I've been going to church before I was born and I haven't stopped. And I'm doing all these things, and I'm saying all these things, and I'm trying to be all these things. And yet, the promises from some of them preachers on TV are not happening for me. It gets a little irritating. makes you upset. But it exposes something in me. And I'm being a little vulnerable here, and maybe that makes you uncomfortable. And if that does, you can go to the Catholic Church. That was unfair. (laughs) I have times where I'm angry at God because of my self-righteousness. 
because of the idol in my heart where I want things more than I want God. Where I want God's stuff more than I want God the Father. That those things happen in me. And younger brothers, younger brothers, they do the same thing. They want God's stuff more than they want God. They just have the guts to go against the Father's will now. So how do we fix these problems? (laughs) How do we fix younger brothers and older brothers? How do we fix preachers' hearts that are messed up because they are angry at God? How do we fix younger brothers who feel like there is no hope for me to return because of what I've done? What's the solution here? And the solution is actually given in this parable. You didn't see it because of your bad translation. It's not your fault. You didn't translate it. But early on, it says he divided up his property. And the Greek word there is actually the word life. He divided up his life. You see, the father knew that the only way to bring back his boys is if he tore his own life apart. The only hope that they might have of wanting him more than his stuff was if they got his stuff and found it wanting, found it leaning against the wrong wall, found it didn't lead to what they truly, truly craved and desired. And the only way that they could figure that out was if he tore himself up so that they would go, Dad, I can't believe what you've done for me. It's a beautiful picture of what God the Father has done for us. It's a beautiful picture of what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. That he understood that the only way for you and I to be transformed, to be changed, to be rescued from our self-righteousness or from our wanting to throw off the rules and the regulations, from being a younger brother or an older brother, the only way to fix that was not by any of us trying harder, not by any of us following any kind of rules because that would get us in trouble as older brothers. The only way to fix this was for him to tear himself apart and for us to marvel at his sacrifice. For us to sit and look at him and to realize what he had done for us. So older brothers, Older sisters, younger brothers, younger sisters, do you see? Jesus said, there will be a time when the Son of Man will be lifted up and all who gaze upon him will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Older brothers, sisters, quit trying. It's not the way forward. It's not what's going to make you right with God. And it will lead to self-righteousness and anger. Younger brothers 
Younger sisters, quit trying to figure it out yourself. Quit running away from authority. Quit running away from what's good for you. Come back to the Father. May we all want the Father and not his things. Let us pray. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you want the Father. May you want the Creator. May you see how beautiful and amazing and awesome is our God. That he would tear his life apart so that you might have life. Amen.